Father, we love you so much. And I'm so thankful for the great privilege that, that I have on these Wednesday nights just to open up your word and just to talk about you. You're so amazing. And, and I, I don't know what else is better for us to talk about than to let you speak into our lives as we look at the things that you chose to include in the scriptures. And so I pray as we do that tonight, Lord, that, Lord, the scriptures would come alive in our hearts. And that it would be you that would be speaking to us and teaching us and exhorting us. Again, we are so thankful, so thankful for the privilege we have to be your kids and to be instructed from your heart. And we pray that's exactly what would happen tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Tonight we continue our study of the book 1 Samuel, and remember, you can remember the content of 1 Samuel by remembering it's about three people, right? Three people, Mary, Joe, and Curly. No, 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 I even got those names wrong. That's not who it is. Of course, it starts with Samuel, the great prophet Samuel, and the first seven chapters just deal with his upbringing and his godly parents and the crazy world that he grew up in and had to minister in, and it was just, uh, just an upbringing that prepared him for a great ministry of walking with the Lord. And then in chapter 8, when the children of Israel demand a king, that's the second person we get to know, and that's King Saul. And King Saul starts out great for about two years. He has two years of loving God, serving God, serving the people. But the problem is he reigns for 40 years. So the next 38 years are disaster. Just 38 years of, of, of mistakes and falls and incomplete obedience, and it's just a mess, as God told the nation of Israel it would be. God wanted a king after his own heart, and that brings us to the third person that we learn about in the book 1 Samuel, and that is David. Now, he won't become king until 2 Samuel, but in this book, we learn about this man who was after God's heart, and last week, we met David. He was brought from the the sh- watching the sheep in his dad's field as this insignificant son, so in- insignificant that when, his, his, when the prophet comes and tells his dad, I-, I want all of your sons to come to the feast, he doesn't even remember him. He's like, yeah, oh yeah, I do have one more kid you know, out there in the field. How, how passed over David must have felt. But from that position to his battle against Goliath, David finds himself in the court of King Saul. One of Saul's generals, Saul's musician, he plays worship in Saul's bedroom to remove the distressing spirit, and everything is going well at first, at first. But then Saul's jealousy begins to creep up. One of the problems was those ladies, those ladies always getting in the way. Those ladies start singing a song, oh Saul, he's slain his thousands, But then they saw David and their little hearts went pitter-patter, pitter-patter. See, he was, David was the best looking kind of guy. He wasn't like Saul, seven feet tall. No way, no way. That, That was Saul. David was a shorter guy with a red face and bright eyes. Oh, and the ladies just, so anyways, I'm just, I'm just telling you what the word says. Just telling you what the word says. And, and, and this guy, man, when they saw him, they said, David has slain his tens of thousands. And when Saul heard that, he thought, what more can they have? What more can he have but the kingdom? And so you couple that with the fact that the spirit that was originally on Saul to help him lead had departed and now was with David. And so he attempts to kill David, not once, not twice, but three times with his own hand. And when that doesn't work, he sends him out to the front lines of the battle and, and the Philistines can't defeat him. And David endures all of this for about a three to five year period of time. Whether he was 15 or 17, by the time he's 20, we get to the story we looked at last week where David's convinced, your dad wants to kill me. And Jonathan says, oh no, he he loves you, he loves you. And so David says, bet me, we're gonna do a little test. I'm not gonna show up at the feast where I'm required to be. And, And if Saul's fine with it, then you're right, Jonathan. But if he's not, you know your dad wants to kill me. And Jonathan, oh, of course, this'll be great. And so he sits down at the feast. First day, Saul thinks, well, he must, he must be unclean. 
clean, that David. He's very into the uh, scriptural laws, so he's probably unclean today. But the second day, he's like, where is David? And Jonathan says, well, I gave him permission to go to his father's house in Bethlehem. And you remember what, what Saul did? Picked up the spear and threw it at his own son. And he said, you're a son of a... He called his mom a bad name. And it was just, a, just trying to... And Jonathan, the light finally goes on. Oh, okay. So you do want to kill David. <laughs> you do. And he goes to that rock of Ezel. Remember the rock that shows the way? And he tells David, David, it's time to go. It's time to go. And that's where we pick it up tonight. Tonight and next week, we are going to look at, overview, of course, the, the 10 years of David's life between the time that he was exiled from Saul's house at age 20 till he's 30 and he becomes king at first over Judah. So we're over the next two weeks going to learn how David spent his 20s. <laughs> and, and it's not as most of us wished or did spend our 20s. He's always running and hiding in caves. And you know, I look at this section and I think sometimes, why, Lord, why? Why would you do that to David? Why not just kill Saul and make David king and, 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 and it would be a great thing for the nation of Israel? Why would you do it that way? And, and yet as you read through, you begin to consider the things that God did in David's heart. The things that he worked into him that could be worked in no other way. No less than 20 Psalms were penned in this 10-year period of time. And as you look at those psalms, we don't have time tonight to compare them. This summer, we're going to look at some of the psalms, and we'll have some time to do that. But as you look at the background of the psalms, man, man, you see David growing in this time, maturing in this time. Yes, it would have been easier to kill Saul and just put David in, but David would have never been the king that God wanted him to be. And so because of that, he has to walk through many, many trials in the section we're looking at tonight and next week. And if you're, if you're taking notes, tonight we're going we're gonna to look at the first eight and a half years, and it's actually more text covers the last year and a half, but tonight we're going to cover an eight and a half year period covered in 1 Samuel chapters 21 through 25, and three things I want to look at tonight. I want to look at trials that David faced because he sinned. Sometimes we face trials because we're sinners. Yes, we are. Then we're going to see trials that he faced because he was being betrayed. And then finally, trials he faced because of foolish men. And so we'll look at those one at a time, starting with chapter 21 and trials that David faced because of his own sin. Look with me in chapter 21, verse 1. Now David came to Nob, to Abimelech the priest, and, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone? And no one is with you. So David said to, uh, uh, to Ahimelech the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you. It's very, very secret. So secret, Saul doesn't even know about it. And what I have commanded you, and I directed the, my young men to such and such a place. Now, therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread on, on hand or whatever you can be found. And the, the priest answered David and said, there's no common bread on hand, but there is the holy bread, that bread they would put out on the table of showbread. If you remember our discussions in the book of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. But if the young men have at least kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest and said, truly, women have been kept from us really just me, about three days since I came out and the vessels of the young men are holy and the bread is in effect common if though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. And so the priest gave him holy bread and there was no bread there but the show bread which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day that it was taken away. The first thing that happens is David comes to Nob. And remember, on the back of your study guide, there is a map. If you want to follow along where David goes in this 10-year journey, eight and a half we'll cover tonight. The first place he ends up after leaving where Saul would minister there in Gibeah is he goes to the priestly city of Nob. I say priestly city because remember, in the book of Numbers, God ordains 48 cities, 48 cities, which are Levitical cities. And, and God did that, remember, to place his priest everywhere throughout the nation, everywhere, that close to everyone, no matter where you live, whether it was far to the south in Beersheba or far to the north in Dan, close to you, there was 
men of God that you could go to and get prayer from and hear the word from. And it's the same thing that God does in our lives. He spreads us out all over North County, all over Southern California on purpose that you might be a light in a dark world. Well, the closest priestly city to Gibeah, where Saul's headquarters was, was a Levite city of Nob. And so David goes to the priest of Nob, and there he's a little concerned. David's all alone, meaning there was no royal entourage with him. And what does David do? He lies. He says, I'm on a secret mission for the king. And I bet David thought, it's no big deal. This lie's not going to hurt anybody. I'll be safe. They'll be safe. Uh-oh, look what happens. Verse 7. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite of the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not found on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because, another lie, the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is no other except that one. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. David thinks, Oh, no one's going to understand my lie. No one's going to hear it. But the Bible tells us there was a guy creeping around, listening in. A guy by the name of Doeg. And he's on, the, he's on the outskirts, snooping around this doeg. In fact, that's where the term Snoop Dogg originally came from. Is, oh, I'm sorry. That's not true. That's not that you thought it was. But anyways, doeg, he's snooping around, and he hears this conversation, and David's sin, David's lie, will have radical consequences that we'll get to next chapter. But first of all, David doesn't feel safe in the nation of Israel. So the first place he flees out of Israel is to the territory of the Philistines, a city by the name of Gath. Look at verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and he was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So what did he do? He became an actor. He changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him here to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? David doesn't feel safe in Israel. So he flees to the enemies of Israel. He flees to a place called Gath. Now, Bible students, I find this so interesting. Gath was where who was from? Goliath. Okay, you do remember Sunday. That's good. That's good. Just a few days ago. But this Sunday, that, 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 that Goliath was from Gath. So he goes to the very place Goliath is from, and whose sword just happens to be on David's side? Goliath's. The very one. David, what are you thinking? I know it's been about five years since that little episode in the Valley of Elah, but what are you thinking? Now, some Bible scholars suggest that David thought that he would be received in Gath because the king of Gath was not Goliath, he was Achish. And yet to have such a warrior in your community, remember back then in ancient culture, it wasn't the smoothest politician that got to be the leader. It was often the greatest warrior in the town, the one that could kill all his rivals. There was no vote. It's just like, I'm king or I kill you. And if you're big enough to make that statement, you get to be king. And so Achish was in the same town with Goliath. And some Bible scholars believe that David thought, well, this is the rival. This is the rival. And because I killed his rival, he'll receive me. I mean, I know my king, David must have thought. My king would love to honor the man that would kill me. So... Man, they're going to greet me with open arms. That may be what was happening. I just think David was being stupid. I do. I do. Why? Because this is what sin does to us. It makes us think dumb things, to do things. We've told others, don't do that. And then we walk into it ourselves. 
having no real idea it's wrong. Sin blinds us. Remember when we studied Samson's life? And Samson's dating this gal, Delilah, and Delilah, that's like, that's like the child of Goliath and Delilah. But anyways, he's dating Delilah, and she says, what, what can I do to you to afflict you? What a weird thing for a gal to say who loves a man. What can I do to hurt you? And then, you know, Samson answers a lie. He says, tie my hand with new ropes. And, <laughs> and then he wakes up the next morning with new ropes around his arms. You'd think that would have clued him in. Like, this gal doesn't have my best interest in mind. But he goes on and does this three more times until eventually he does tell her the secret of his strength. And people say, well, Samson was overwhelmed. No, he was blinded by sin. And I mention that because be careful when you're not walking close to the Lord what you deem to be right and wrong because your equilibrium spiritually is off when you're in sin. David is just off. Oh, they'll love me in Gath. <laughs> then he shows up and he realizes, not the case. The people start saying, is that, is that David? Isn't that the guy they sing songs about in Israel that David has slain his tens of thousands? Tens of thousands of who? Us, us. No doubt there was not a family in Gath who David hadn't taken one of their husbands, one of their sons. So David realizes, uh-oh. I made a mistake. I got Goliath's sword on my side. No doubt Goliath's mother's like, my baby sword. What was Goliath's mom must have been like? Oh man, she probably could have eaten David if he was in the flesh and not in the... Anyway, so I'm getting off track. But he realizes in the city, I'm in trouble. So what does he do? He starts pretending to be insane. Now understand, understand that in ancient culture, they thought that insanity was a judgment on someone by a god. That, you know, God was angry at that person and so he would strike them with some kind of mental illness. Now, what was important about that is then they taught and they thought that if you then messed with an insane person, that God would turn his wrath from the person he had judged and turn his wrath now to you and afflict you with that same condition. And it's kind of a neat way God put into people's hearts to you know, be nice to mental, you know, people that have mental, mental illnesses in that day. But nonetheless, I believe David's playing on that. He's thinking, oh, they don't want to catch my insanity. So I'm going to pretend that I'm insane and scratch and have spittle all over my beard and, and they'll want to leave me alone. And that's exactly what they did. But how embarrassing for the future king of Israel. How degrading as he walks around with saliva running off his beard. But again, don't miss it, church family. This is what sin produces. It produces pain. It produces embarrassment. It brings us to places we thought we would never be. And it makes us act in ways we thought we would never act. It's why your loving Father in heaven says what? Run from sin. Run from sin. Ah, it's bad for David, but it gets worse. Look at chapter 22. David therefore departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down from there to him, and everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered himself to David. So he became a captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Then David went from there. You can follow along on your maps. He went from there from Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please, let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. And so he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So, de- so David departed and went to the forest of Hereth. And Saul heard that David and his men who were with him had been discovered. And Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand, because he always had that spear in his hand, and all the servants standing about him. And then Saul said to his servants, Who stood about him? Here now, you Benjamites! 
Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? What has that David done for you lately? All of you have conspired against me and there's no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse and there's not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has turned up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And then, then, then Snoop Dogg shows up. Doeg, the Edomite, who has been set over the servants of Saul, said, Hey, king, I got something. I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provision and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So the king sent and called Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all the father's house and the priests that were in Nob. And they came to the king, and Saul said, Hear now, you son of Ahitub. And he said, Here am I, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise up against me to lie in wait as is this day? And so Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law who goes at your bidding and honorable in your house? Ahimelech, being, being David's friend right now is not a good idea. Verse 15, did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it for me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or any of the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all of this, little or much. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guards who stood about him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand is also with David and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women and children and nursing infants. There's a special place in hell for this guy. Oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest. I think David felt in this moment. So David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doag the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. David leaves Gath when he realizes this is not a good place to be. And he goes back to the nation of Israel to the cave of Adullam, as you can see there on your map. Now, the cave of Adullam, we'll put some pictures up there. On the outside, it doesn't, it doesn't look like much, which is the first picture there. It's kind of hidden in the hills of the Hebron desert area. But then you go inside, which is the next picture, and, and you know, man, it's, it's cavernous. It's a cave. You go in, you can fit a lot of people in there, and that's the point. It's hard to see from the outside, lots of room on the inside. And as David is there, 400 men show up who are in debt, and depressed, and stressed out. (laughs) And what so ministers to me about this is David doesn't send them away. David doesn't reject these guys. He doesn't rebuff them. He embraces them and begins to rub off on them. You see, later in 2 Samuel, we'll learn of David's mighty men who were the best warriors, bar none, in the nation of Israel. Where do you think those guys came from? Those were these guys who started out as rejects, who started out all depressed and all discontented and whining about everything. And they they showed up and David took it upon himself to disciple these guys, to see these guys grow and mature. And I mention that to you because I, I think all of us will have an experience like this or two in our lives. You know, when I started here at this church, the, the, the staff, oh man, I mean, the staff is 
amazing now. But the staff here at Calvary Chapel Vista, thinking about it back then. I mean, our worship leader rotation, Scott Cunningham, Evan Wickham, Jeremy Camp, Eddie Hill. We had all those guys rotating through. Still got Eddie, praise the Lord. But these were our worship leaders. Charlie Campbell was our college pastor. He now speaks all over the world, you know, about apologetics and the Bible. Our junior high pastor was Mark Orozco, who's now the senior pastor of Brandon, Florida. I was the high school pastor. My assistant was Phil McKay, who is now the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Villarreal down there in Costa Rica. And when he took over for Pastor Charlie, who went on to do that apologetics ministry, we we hired Christian Sly to take his place in high school ministry. And now Christian Sly is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Westminster, just outside of Denver. And you think of that, and you add to that the guys that have been here forever, like Steve and Eddie and Dave and Rob. And I mean, it, I mean, it was a tremendous time to serve on staff. And, and I left that place and went to, went to Texas. And early, early in the ministry, I mean, my children's ministry, my worship leaders, my anybody, they were all brand new to serving God. <laughs> brand new to... And, 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 and the, the stories that would happen are legendary. They, they're really good for me because I love telling stories. So anyways, legendary. Those, and, and, and there was part of me, there was part of me that thought, well, how come I can't have a cool staff like Vista? How come I can't have all those great guys all around? And I remember thinking that and, and, and the Lord just ministering to me, hey, wait a second. When all those guys first showed up, they were all just like that. You were especially like that. All those guys were messed up and discontented and depressed and, and yet hanging out with Rob and Steve and Eddie and the Lord and you guys, this great church. Man, God shaped you guys into ministers. And the Lord oppressed on my heart, I'm not sending you the Vista staff. I'm sending you from the Vista staff to rub off on these guys and make them mighty men of God. I look back now and some of them have started churches and they're senior pastors. Some of them are on the mission field. Some of them are leading worship at huge churches. And and I just share that with you because the people you're around, the people God puts into your sphere of influence to disciple, to spend time with, sometimes we think, "Why why does God send me people that are always depressed and in debt and bummed out? And God would say, well, because it takes one to know one. That's why I send them your way. That's what happens. It's where you were at until God through his word and people who cared poured into you. So now you do the same. God sends you people to serve within the ministry and your ministries that you serve in to minister at the workplace, not always because they're the best the world has to offer, but because God has a habit of taking the foolish things of the world and using people like me and you to shape and mold them to bring his glory. So look for that. Be ready for that. David at the cave of Adullam gets these 400 just stressed out men and someday, someday they'll become David's mighty men. He also gets his family to come to him because obviously their lives are now in danger too. And David, as you can see on the map on the back, he takes them somehow to Moab. Why to Moab? Remember, remember, David has some Moabite blood in him. His grandmother was a gal by the name of, who remembers? Ruth, very good. We just studied that a few weeks ago. And so it could be his connection via lineage to the nation of Moab. It could also be because Saul had made Moab an enemy. So the enemy of Saul was a friend of the king of Moab. But Moab, David's family, is safe. And then he takes his men to where he thinks they will be safe, a place the Bible calls the stronghold. Now, most Bible scholars believe that that is what we know today as Masada. And as we put a picture of Masada up on the screen there, you can see it's just like this natural fortress that raises up out of the ground there right near the the Dead Sea. And it's, it's amazing. I've been there quite a few times and Hiked up one time and every time since then took the nice little tram car that goes to the top because it is a huge hike because again, if you're an army in the days before the tram car, it's impossible to take someone who's up there. I mean, they can just throw rocks on your head and repel you. And so David takes his men to where he believes they are safe. All the trials. David has to leave his home, his wife. He thinks he'll be safe in Gath, but then has to act like an insane man to save himself. How embarrassing. But that couldn't compare to what must have happened in David's heart when he finally hears the story that his lie caused the death of 85 men of God and their wives 
and their children, even the infants. What a low moment. What a trial. But what I want you to notice, precious church, is this trial is not because someone was being a jerk to him. Oh, we know Saul was. But the events of these two chapters are because David isn't trusting the Lord. He's lying to priests. He's leaving God's people, going to the enemy's territory. And though I'm sure it was done with great intentions, I'm sure David thought this will all work out. It is all blown up in his face. When will we learn? Sin stinks. Oh, I've said this a hundred times and I will say it a hundred more if God keeps me upright. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. And that's a huge distinction. It's not like God's in heaven saying, how can I make Jim's life harder? How, how, can, I, how can I make things for Dave a, a little bit tougher? You know, no way. He says, I love those guys. I love Andy. And I, I want to bless him and just have him walk in the things that God's doing. And, and so stay away from the stuff that's going to hurt you. Stay away, Kevin, from those things that just are going to rip you apart and rip your family apart. That's what God's saying. He's not trying to rip you off. He's trying to bless you and I. And when we turn a deaf ear, and we all do, what happens? Same thing. We're bummed out. We're upset because sin stinks. Now, we all find ourselves here, but listen, 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 tune in to me. When we've found ourselves in sin, we all have a choice of what we do next. Do you notice how this chapter ended, chapter 22? What does David do? He confesses his sin. I've caused this, Abathar. It was my fault your dad died. It's my fault your friends are dead. It's my fault your brothers and sisters are dead. I did this. And then David, as for he repents and names his sin, it's time to move on and keep walking with God. You see, all of us have a choice. The Lord, a good friend, points out something in our hearts. And we have a choice. We can either continue in sin and just say, well, I've messed up this far. I guess I'm just going to go on this month-long, year-long, decade-long excursion away from the Lord. And people do that all the time. Or am I going to own it? That was sin. That was disgusting. And Lord, I repent. And you know what? Because of your grace and because of your blood, I can now keep walking with you. Friends, all of us have that choice. And my prayer with all of my heart for me and for you is that is exactly how you and I would respond to sin. Not just to say, oh, well, not just to say, oh, it'll get better, but to say, Lord, I own that. That was wrong. That was exactly what you said it was. And I want to repent. I want to turn. And I want to start going in the opposite direction. I want to keep going with you. That's what David does. That's what a man or a woman after God's heart does. Alexander White says, the victorious are said, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And it's so true. Every day, every moment is an opportunity for you to have a new beginning with Jesus Christ and say, that was sin. It's over. I'm ready to walk with you. David has these trials because of his sin. Next, next notice, we see trials. Trials because of betrayal. Trials because of betrayal. Chapter 23. Then the Lord told David, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. And therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Kelilah against the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kelilah, and for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and the men went to Kelilah and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. And so David saved the inhabitants of Kelilah. 
Now it happened when Abathar, the son of of Himelech, fled to David and Kelilah, that that he went down with an ephod in his hand, and Saul was told that David had gone to Kelilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. For he has shut him in himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to go to war, to go to Kelilah and besiege David and his men. And when David knew the, the, the Saul's plot, plotted evil against him, he said, Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod here. And, and David said, Oh Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kelilah and destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kelilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Oh Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kelilah deliver me and my men into their hands? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Kelilah and went wherever they could. And it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kelilah, so he halted his exposition. Exposition. I keep saying that. That's, that's verse-by-verse study of the Word of God. <laughs> Expedition. David's betrayed. He hears the Philistines are coming to the city of Kelilah, the city in Israel. And again, just like he had with his sin, should I stay in my sin or should I repent? He has a decision to make. Do I go and help the citizens of Kelilah? Do I go and help my fellow Jews? Or do I say, tough luck for you. Why don't you call your king who's busy chasing me all over the wilderness? Maybe he can take care of you. And David decides, I'm going to go save these brothers of mine. I'm going to go save this town. And he goes down and the Lord leads him and blesses him and he wins the victory and does all these different things. And and then Saul hears, David's in Kelilah. He's in a town with bars and gates. He's shut in. The Lord has delivered him into my hand. So funny how Saul thinks it's the Lord that's delivered him into his hand. Confused when you're in sin. And David goes to his priest and he says, will the men of Kelilah deliver me? I mean, he just saved them from the Philistines. He just saved them from certain death, from being killed and all the horrible things that would have happened to the women and the children. Oh man, he just saved them. You'd think they would have David's back. But God tells David the truth. They're going to toss you over the wall. They're going to betray you. And David realizes I'm going to be betrayed. And at this point, he also has a choice, just like we have with sin, to continue in sin or repent and get right. We have a choice when we are betrayed. All of us have been there. You do something for somebody, you pour into somebody, you do something that blesses them, and and they come back and do what? They bite you. And our natural reaction, wherever that happens, isn't it? It's just, oh, I'll show you. David could have said, what? What? What are they going to do? 600 men? This city's going to burn to the ground early. Let's take them down. I'm sure that was thought about by David, certainly by some of his men. I know that because we think that too, huh? We've been betrayed and we think, well, here's my comeback. Oh, yeah. But David doesn't do that. He has a choice and he just takes his men And he leaves. And he leaves it with the Lord. You know, I look at that and I think, what a great example to you and me. But why was David able to react that way? I want you to think this through with me. Because it applies to every single one of us. Every single one of us who have experienced betrayal and people hurting us, we have a choice to make, to to rise up and be angry or to realize what David does. David realizes this situation stinks. These people have hurt me. But he also realizes in the midst of these hard things, I've still been blessed. What do you mean he's been blessed? He has been. If you notice back in verse 5, I believe it is there in, in chapter 23, chapter 23, he, he, when he attacks the, the, the Philistines, he gets all of their livestock, their cows. He's increased what he has. He, he has a barbecue. 
And David realizes, these men, man, broke my heart. But God still found a way to bless me. I got all this meat to throw over a fire and have a juicy steak. And I mention that to you because, oh, so true. You and I have a choice when we've been hurt. We have a choice when we've been betrayed. You can either, like David, say, you know what, Lord? Even in the hurt, you were blessing me. Even in that, I I learned deep things about your character. I I had good memories with that person before the betrayal. Uh, There's some experiences I had in my life that I would have had no other way. Lord, you you bless me even in that. You you, you choose to do that. Or or you just be angry and bitter your whole life. That's our choice. You can choose to have a cow or have a steak. That's your choice. Like David, you can either have a cow or or just say, hey, I got steaks. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You'll never forget that, will you? Have a cow or have a steak. That's the idea. That's the idea. You see, these choices are before us. I was thinking this through. You know, one of my favorite books, just because I'm kind of wired this way, is, is the book of James. James just tells it like it is. And in chapter one, as he's going through, he he says something that used to really confuse me. Early on in chapter one, he says, he says that God, you know, leads us into trials in our lives to shape us and mold us and change us. And then later in verse 13, I think it is, he, he says that God does not lead us into temptation. Now that seems to make sense in English. You know, God sends trials, but he doesn't tempt us. But when you really look at the original Greek, it's the same word. So it's kind of confusing in the original language. God sends trials, temptations. And then verse 13, God doesn't send trials, temptations. What? <laughs> well, is it a contradiction? Of course not. Every time you dig deeper into what appears to be a contradiction, you always find a deep, amazing truth about the nature of God. And what you find as you dig and you develop is that the same exact circumstance in my life and yours. God wants to use that circumstance as a trial to reform, to refine you, to change you, to do deep things in your heart. The enemy, the enemy wants to use the same, hear me on this, the same exact circumstance, the same exact thing, the same exact person to drive you away from the Lord to make you curse his name and give up on Christianity in the church. It's the same exact circumstance. The Lord wants to shape you and make you and teach you to cling to him. Satan wants you to have a cow. God wants to give you filet mignon. And listen, listen, listen. You and I get to choose how we will respond to these trials, temptations. How will I respond? To cling to the Lord and just, okay, Lord, I trust you. These people, oh, these people of Kilila. I want to Kilila all of them. <laughs> but I'm going to trust you, Lord, and just walk with you. Or, or we go the other way. You have the choice. We have the choice. The third thing we see in our text tonight, the final thing we see, is we see trials in David's life, first because of his own sin, then because of betrayal, and thirdly, because of foolish men, foolish men. The first foolish man who comes into his sphere here is uh, good old King Saul. Look at chapter 24. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told to him saying, take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepfolds by the road, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. And David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. And then the men of David said, now listen, listen close to what the men of David say. It'll, it'll come be important in just a second. This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. 
And it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. It spoke of his person. It spoke of who he was. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. And David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and had no idea and went on his way. And David also arose afterwards and went out of the cave and called out to Saul saying, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped, uh, stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen the Lord delivered you this day into my hand in a cave. And someone, like 400 someones, urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father... See, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for, I, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe, and I did not kill you, and know, and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? To whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? Therefore let the Lord judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. And so it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? Oh, please, Saul, come on. Stop it with the son stuff. And Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I rewarded you with evil. And you have shown me this day, have you dealt with me where the Lord delivered me into your hand? You didn't kill me. For a man finds his enemy, we let him get away safely. Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. And David swore to Saul and Saul went home. But David, he didn't go home. He, did, he didn't trust that Saul. And we'll see, we'll see next week. Saul does not keep his word. David and his men went back up to Masada, back up to the, back up to the stronghold. David flees just, just north of Masada to a place called En Gedi. Again, I hope, hope sometime in the next few years that we get a chance to go to Israel as a church family because it's just so amazing to see these places up close. Slides on a screen do, do not compare. But uh, we'll put a couple of them up there. You got En Gedi, just in the middle of the wilderness is this place where water just comes out of the earth. It, it starts in Jerusalem and it heads underground under the Judean wilderness and then comes up out of the ground right there in this place called En Gedi. And there's waterfalls and pools and, and then our third picture we have there is there's also caves. Caves where you can hide in the side of a mountain and just a great place if you're a fugitive like David to hang out. You got water, you got animals, you got vegetation, and then of course you have shelter as well. And Saul, who will not leave David alone, is hunting David in this region. And Saul goes into one of those caves in order to attend to his needs. Now, we're not told exactly what those needs were. He could have been napping. The need to nap is certainly a need. He could have been going to the bathroom. That's also certainly a need. But the point of the story is Saul picked the wrong cave. All those caves, he happened to go, just so happened to go into the cave where David and his 400 men are just hanging out. And when the men of David see this, they say, that's it. That's it. This is the moment we've been praying for. In fact, I told you to pay attention. Verse four, the men make it sound so much like the Lord when they speak. Oh, this is the day that the Lord told you about. The day when God would let you kill your enemy. Here's the problem. God never said that. He never said that. Go ahead, search it out. God never said that. It just sounds like something God would say. It sounds like a verse. It's why, it's why we have to be careful, precious men and women. We need to learn to hear the Lord for ourselves. How do I do that? I don't know how you do that. I do that by writing down my needs and concerns, talking to the Lord, writing things down, and then spending time in his word, spending time here at church with the, with the brothers and the sisters by 
listening to podcasts of Christian teaching and Christian music. And I tell you what happens. The Lord, over time, just speaks to each of those issues. And when he does, I know I've heard from the Lord. And this is so important because if we don't, David, if he didn't know how to seek the Lord for himself, he would have followed whatever sounded like the Lord. And Saul would have died in that cave that day, and it would have been a mark on David for the rest of his life. David cuts an edge of his garment, which he uses to show Saul, you are in my grasp. But he doesn't kill him. He doesn't, he doesn't remove, listen, he doesn't remove what David calls the Lord's anointed. And I really want you to focus in right here because I believe that though we don't live in the time of ancient Jewish kings, we still have God's anointed all around us. Well, what are you saying, Pastor Jason? I can't criticize you because you're the Lord's anointed. That's exactly what I'm saying. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is this. Just like you, for me, God anoints situations in my life. He anoints people in my life. He anoints trials in my life. They are anointed by him to work in my heart, to work in your heart. And it seems to me, the more anointed, the more annoying. You know what I mean by that? The more God is doing a deeper work, the more it hurts. So the more annoying ones are the more anointed of God. It's what God is doing in my life and yours. And again, just like we've talked about many times tonight, we have a choice. We have a choice to trust the Lord and say, Lord, that person, that situation, that trial, that is anointed by you to work in my life, so I won't remove it or him or her or that. I will endure and let you work. God, I will not touch those anointed things in my life. As David will say, we'll look at it next week, the Lord will take care of that eventually. The Lord will take care of Saul. God has put him in my life for a reason. The second fool that David has to deal with is this guy by the name of Nabal. Let's read chapter 25 and then we'll be done for tonight. Then Samuel died. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him in the home of Ramah, his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. This is just uh, south of San Francisco. No, no, just kidding. It's actually, there's two Carmels in Israel. There's the Carmel up in the north where, where Elijah will step up on a Mount Carmel and call down fire from heaven. That is not where this is at. You look in your map there. That's why I provided the map tonight. It's down in the southern part of Israel. There's a different Carmel. And this man was a very rich man. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And the, the name of the man was Nabal, which means fool, by the way. Hope his mama didn't give him that name. Hopefully that was a name, a nickname that stuck, but maybe, maybe his mama said, this guy's a fool. But anyways, the name of his wife was Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. And when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, which meant there was a feast going on, David sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal and greet him in in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be with you, peace to your house and peace to all you have. I've heard that you have shears and your your, your shepherds were, uh, your your shepherds were with us and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while while we were in Carmel. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes for we've come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes into 
your hand to your servants and your son David. And when David's young men came and spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited, then Nabal answered and David's servant said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his master. Shall I take my from bread from my uh, take take bread from my hand and water and meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who I don't know where they're from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him, David, all these words. And David said to his men, Every man, gird on your sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David's messengers from the wilderness went out to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were were not hurt by them, nor did we miss anything as long as they accompanied us when we were with them in the fields. And they they were a wall to us, both by night and day, and the time that we were keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against his household, for he is such a scoundrel and one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread and two skins of wine and five sheep already dressed, five silas silas of of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And so it was, as she rode on the donkey, she went down under the cover of the hill. There was David and his men coming down toward her. And she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so nothing was missed of all that belongs to him and he was he has repaid me evil for good may god do so and more also to the enemies of david if i leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light now when abigail saw david she dismounted quickly from the donkey fell on her face before david and bowed to the ground and she fell at his feet and said on me my lord on me Let this iniquity be. Please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard the scoundrel Nabal, for his name is, so he is his name, his folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men when my Lord of whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to the bloodshed and from avenging yourself in your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout all your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. I've heard stories about you, Mr. Sling Man. Verse 30, and it shall come to pass when the Lord, that's in the text, the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken of concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you, no offense of heart to my Lord. Either you have shed blood without cause or my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Verse 31, what is she asking? Verse 32, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming, coming to bloodshed, from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives who's kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried to come to meet me, surely by morning no males would have been left to, to Nabal. So David received from her hand all that she, uh, she brought to him and said to her, go in peace to your home. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Verse 36, now Abigail went to Nabal and there he was. She just saved his life. What is he doing? Holding the feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. And so it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal. The wife told him these things and his 
heart died within him and he became like a stone. And it happened after about 10 days, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil for the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent, (laughs) here's why he's really excited, and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. And when the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. And then she arose and bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey and attended by five of her maidens. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Sadly, verse 43, David also took Ahinoam of the Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But David, Saul had given Machel, the daughter of, David, the daughter of his, to David's wife, to Patiel, the son of Laish, who was from Galam. Before we go our way tonight, the last fool that David has to face is this guy Nabal. Nabal, again, foolish man. And he's married to this wise godly, beautiful girl by the name of Abigail. Now, how in the world did the fool Nabal end up with the beautiful gal Abigail? How did that happen? The answer to that is, I don't know. How'd you do it? How'd I do it? I'm not picking on you. Man, I don't know about you, but I, I married hugely above who I am as a person in all categories. So, I don't know. It just happens. <laughs> Must be short guys with red face. No, just kidding. But um, the reality is, I mean, the, the Lord's grace. But, but, but listen, with, with, with Nabal, obviously, it, this was an arranged marriage. Some dad saw this guy that was super wealthy. I mean, in this day, if you had a couple of sheep, a couple of sheep, you were considered well-to-do. This guy has thousands of sheep, thousands of goats, thousands of different types of livestock. He's wealthy, and no doubt some dad thought, the wealth will protect my daughter. Be careful of that, dads. Be careful of that, moms. Be careful that we press our kids into things that we think are safe. Oh, you know, this person has got a good job. This person graduated from this school. I don't know if you should be with that person. How are they going to provide for you? How are they going to take care of you? There's one question you should ask, men and women of, of the Lord. Does that person know and love Jesus Christ? That's the question. Because no money can ever compare to someone who knows and loves God. God will take care of your little baby if she's married to someone who loves Jesus. You don't want them in a situation where they're financially secure and miserable. You don't. Solomon said it best, Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Abigail. Abigail probably told that to her grandson, not her step-grandson. Anyway, Solomon, you you don't know about this guy I used to be married to, this Nabal, this fool. Man, write that down, Solomon. Nabal plays the fool, and David decides the fool's going to die. And Abigail is made aware of the situation, and she steps in. Just think about that. Think about her. What What a godly girl this is. David's coming to kill all the what? All the males. She's in a really tough marriage. How many of us, or you, ladies, would be thinking, oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> this is the day I've been waiting for. Every male, which means all the ladies get to live. David, they're over there. They're over there, David. <laughs> right over there, David. Oh, that's such a temptation. Just like David will do over and over again, so Abigail does. I won't take things into my own hand. She steps in, texts her husband, makes all this food for David and his men. And then she says, verse 31, God's going to deal with you and deal with Nabal. And when he does, remember me. And when David hears that Nabal is dead, he does. And he comes and proposes to this gal and she becomes his wife. Now, he does add some others and then some others after that. And we'll deal with all that silliness later and the problems that it caused in David's life. But just want us to leave here tonight with, with, this, with this point. In all of our trials, no matter what their source, trials because we sin, and we do, and we deal with the effects. Trials of other people and their sin towards us. Betrayal, 
foolishness. We experience these trials and there's always two ways to respond. With your own sin, you can just give up and give in and keep going down that road or you can fess up, confess, and keep moving with Jesus. When it comes to betrayal, you can have a cow or you can have a steak and there will be blessings if if you're looking for it. With the foolish people you and I encounter, we can be just like them. We can seek to remove them from our lives like would have been so easy for David to do. Or we can remember, Lord, you have forgiven me so many foolish things that I have done. Lord, I have hurt so many people. I've hurt you so many times. Help me to be gracious. And Father, help me to realize that 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 Nabal in my life, that Saul situation in my heart, Lord, it was put there by you. Oh, no, it wasn't. Yes, it was. I made a poor choice. So did Israel. It's, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And you and I have a choice to remove that, to run away, or to say, I will not touch the Lord's anointing. I will let you do deep work that you need to do in my heart. We all have a choice. Same situation. Don't let the enemy use it to rip you off, spit you up. Let the Lord use it to shape you and mold you and change you into the man or woman God is calling you to be. Father, thank you so much for your word for us tonight. As we go our way singing a song to you, Lord, I pray that we would pray these things in. Lord, we do experience trials, trials because we're, we're dumb and we do things that are crazy and sinful and oh, Lord, forgive us. But Lord, help us not to stay there. Help us tonight to, to own our sin, to call it what it is, rebellion against you and, and repent and start walking with you anew and afresh tonight. Not tomorrow, not next week, tonight, Lord. Would all of us know what it's like to be hurt and betrayed and I pray that Instead of fighting back and getting our rights, Lord, we would just trust you. See the good things that you taught us in it. The good experience we did have before the hurt. And Lord, choose to see the blessings. Lord, I pray for the foolish people in each of our lives. God, help us remember that so often we're the biggest fool there is. We have very little room to judge other people because we're, we're somebody else's fool. We're somebody else's Lord's anointed. God, help us to be gracious and help us, Lord, to not touch those people, those experiences, those situations, but just to let you do your work. For you are good. You are amazing. And someday, like we'll read next week, it'll, all, it'll be over for David. And he will have come through and learned the lessons. And I pray that like David, we would be able to come through and say, Lord, I didn't always do it perfectly, but Lord, I chose to trust you. I chose to cling to you. And Lord, now we're on the other side. Praise the Lord. Blessed be his name. In Jesus' name we all pray, amen.